0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, Good Afternoon. Um, Okay, so it's unfortunate I'm not going to talk to you lot. Um, Just kidding. Good afternoon. There you go. Good to see you. You're really welcome. Um, if you're a guest or visitor, uh, we are so glad you're here, and uh, if it's your first time back with us, um, great to see it. Before I jump in uh, this morning, I want to welcome Lucy, Caitlin, Raymond, Hannah, and James and Chris. not you come up as well? Will you guys, give these—will um, you give these guys a hand as they come? Please come on up. Do your social distance shuffle along here. Um, If you don't know these guys, they have been interning with us over the last year, Caitlin and Hannah with Chris and our uh, kids and youth, and Lucy and Raymond with James in our worship department, and the reality is, guys, there's so much happens in this community that just can't happen without an army of volunteers, but these guys have been uh, just serving in all kinds of different ways over the last year, and their years coming to an end. Some of them are sticking around, but we'll tell you more about that later. Um, but we just want to say, on behalf of all of you, thank you so much for all uh, that you've done, all that you've poured out, uh, for the way that you've served uh, this community in Jesus this year. So we'd love to pray for them. Um, so would you mind just reaching out a hand as we as we pray for them? And James and Chris will help me as well. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Raymond. Thank you for Lucy. Thank you for Hannah. Thank you for Caitlin. Uh, Lord, thank you for the way that they've served you this year. Thank you for their faithfulness. Uh, Thank you for uh, just the way they've poured themselves out. And Lord, we pray as uh, we move into the summer that you would refresh and renew them. Holy Spirit, would you fill them. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would bless them in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen, thank you guys. Give them another round of applause. (laughs) Wonderful, I have a slightly intense um, question to begin with this afternoon. Um, Some of you are saying, what's new, Annie?" I wonder, could you um, identify what you think is the most important decision you've ever made in your life? That's a big question, I get it. Like, what's the most most important decision you've ever made? And the second part of the question is, I wonder when you were making that decision, were you aware of how important it was? August 2006, I was in a random guy's house in Los Angeles, and there was this really attractive black girl at the other side of the room, and I thought, I'm going to go talk to her. And... In that moment, I had no idea that 13, no, actually 15 years later, um, that woman would be my wife, there would be three little people running around that kinda look a bit like her and a bit like me. That choice to just walk across that room seemed like just a kind of, well, uh, this seems like a good idea right now. Um, No clue at all that that decision was going to literally change my life. I said this last week, that this is one of the real challenges with critical moments in our lives, is often we can only identify moments as critical in hindsight. If like we look back on our lives and think, my goodness, like that decision or that thing changed my life, but I had no idea at the time that the stakes were that high. In fact, if I did, I might have made a different decision because I would have been freaking out about getting it wrong. One of my favorite uh, genres of books to read is autobiography. I love reading the stories of uh, people's lives. And there's a really consistent thread in the lives of some of the most successful people in history. It's often only as they reflect on their lives that they notice seasons, moments, and choices that ended up defining their lives in the long run. It's often only in hindsight that we recognize, man, like the things I did in that few months or the choices I made at that part of my life set a trajectory that I've been kind of walking out ever since. I am convinced, said this last week, I am convinced that we as individuals, as a church, and as a culture are in that kind of moment. We are in a critical moment in our lives. And the problem is, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like we're getting to the end of school term and looking forward to that kind of routine being over, or really hoping that some affordable places get put on a green list so that we can get a holiday, or like life just feels really normal, or whatever normal is in these days. But I am convinced, I'm totally convinced that in years to come, we will look back on the choices that we make now, and over the next three or four months, and they will define us. You see, for the last 14 months or so, our lives have literally been turned upside down in a way that we could never have imagined. We have lived through something that, had you known it was coming, you wouldn't have even known what to do to prepare. We've been asked to live through something, and it has had an effect on us. For most of us, that effect's been pretty negative. I wonder how aware are you of that? But here's the thing. We get an opportunity as we move out of this thing to reprioritize certain things in our lives. We have an opportunity right now in a way that I don't think we will ever have again to determine or change what does Life post-COVID look like, and there are two kind of approaches to that. There is a passive approach, and there is a proactive approach. You can literally just go, "I can't wait until Freedom Day, whatever that's going to be, and when Freedom Day comes, my life's just going to go with the flow, and you know, just whatever is happening around me is just going to happen." There's a famous philosopher uh, said years ago that only dead fish go with the flow. He's totally right. There is an approach to unlocking in life post-COVID that's like a dead fish, where just, I'm just gonna go do whatever everyone else is doing, I'll go back to work, I'll go back to my social life, I'll go back to all these sorts of things. And the thing that's quite dangerous about that is it wouldn't be that bad. There is another approach though. There's an approach that says, this is a moment for me to reprioritize my life to audit what really matters to me and make some very intentional choices and decisions to invest in things that really matter. I think for us as a church, this is a moment for us to zero in on what really, really matters. What's the most important thing in your life? And does the actions of your life line up with what you would say is the most important thing, or do the actions of your life line up with that thing? I want to read a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus spent most of his public life dealing with people trying to catch him out, probing technical, legal questions, trying to expose him as a fake or as a fraud. And verse 36, these legal experts come to him and they ask him this question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Or to paraphrase, Jesus, what's the most important thing God ever said? Like, that's such an intense question. What is the most important thing God ever said? I I don't know how you would react to that question in public while everyone watched on. I, I would want to run a million miles, and I spent most of my life studying the things that God said Were I in that moment, I would have had to confess, I have no idea, there's loads. It's all important, all of it, that's the answer. What's the most important thing God said? All of it, because he said it, and therefore it's important, right? Jesus, what's the most important thing God ever said? And Jesus said this, it's my paraphrase of his answer, that you should love him with all that you have and give as much time and attention to the care of the people around you as you do to yourself. The most important thing God ever said was that we should love Him with everything we have and spend as much time, give as much time to the care of the people around us as we do ourselves. Jesus said, Loving God and loving people matters more than anything else in our lives. And when he says loving people, he, he didn't mean your lovely wee nana who spoils you and is so good and kind to you. He, he meant the people that you find really difficult to love. I have to tell you something. Last week we were talking about this and I give you some examples of people that are hard to love. And I just off the top of my head threw out the example of people that leave their bins out. It seemed to resonate with several of you. Do you know what I found out this morning? Pete Laverty leaves his bins out can text him later. He's one of those guys. (laughs) When Jesus talks about loving God and loving people, he's not just talking about the people that we find it easy to love. In fact, he means the opposite. He's talking about people that get on our nerves. He's talking about people that push our buttons. He's talking about personalities that we clash with. As we rebuild out of COVID, I think this is the perfect place for us to start to audit our lives, to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. What matters most to me? What do I prioritize? And does that line up with what Jesus says should be the priorities of our lives as we rebuild out of COVID? And as we look at Jesus and say, what's the most important thing for us as we come out of this thing, what matters more than anything else, I feel like he would say to us, do you love God and do you love people? Do you love God, like really love God? Like Him, not the things, not the stuff, Him. Do we love Him and do we love other people? Before we think about anything else, I think we need to invest in these things, our love for God and our love for people. How do we measure that? How do we know how we're doing on that? Well, for Jesus, it would seem that the two are completely inseparable. That you can actually measure your love for God for how you love people. Like your love for God is reflected in your love for people That's really difficult, isn't it? Like it'd be so much easier if our love for God was measured by our church attendance, our reading of the scriptures, our private prayer, our devotional life, helping a vet with compassion things. Like those things that are actually not all that costly on us. But I think that our love for God can be measured by our love for people. It is impossible to say you love God and not love people. Remember, I'm not talking about the people you like. I'm talking about Pete Laverty, who leaves his bend out. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Here's the thing love costs. Love costs. Just ask anybody who's married, <laughs> ask anybody who has kids. Love costs. It requires passion, sacrifice, desire, and intimacy. Love dwells somewhere other than our brains. It comes from a deeper place. Love is emotional. We're on dangerous ground in Northern Ireland. Like we're we're a we're a practical people. We're not a very emotional people. Well, actually, we do emotion. We do anger quite well, I think, here. But not much else in terms of emotion. They they say that the more familiar a thing in a culture, the more language there is for it. I, I wonder what language do you have for your emotions? When was the last time you told someone you were sad? That's how kids talk, right? Like we we don't really, it's it's not a very adult sentence, how you doing today? Imagine that in the Eurospar tomorrow. How you doing today? A bit sad today. We have an emotionally stunted language because actually we don't really know how to engage with our emotions and express them. Certainly I don't. That's a problem because love is emotional. And if we're going to love well, then we need to figure out how to relate to that world of our emotions. I have this really weird thing. Dana points it out to me all the time. I don't cry very much unless I'm watching a movie. And then I can't watch a movie without crying. Like literally, like the most ridiculous movies. I watch movies with my kids, and I'm in tears, and they're like, "What's wrong with dad?" And it's like, "Leave him alone. He's processing all of the emotions that he's avoided all week long." How aware, how aware are you, are we, of what's going on in the inner world of your emotions? When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about that or God? If we're serious about the priorities of Jesus, then we must be serious about the health of our inner world. Pete Scazzaro, who literally wrote the book on emotionally healthy spirituality, said this. I came across this work years ago and it kind of, floored me a bit, he said this, he said it's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. That's bad news if you're anything like me and you're a bit unfamiliar with kind of what's happening in the world of your emotions. Our emotional maturity and our spiritual maturity are inseparable, because spiritual maturity is measured by love, and love is an emotional thing. Our emotional maturity and our spiritual maturity are inseparable, because spiritual maturity is measured by love, and love is an emotional thing. Love is not a measure of spiritual maturity. It is the measure of it. Love is the the measure of spiritual maturity. That's really tricky, isn't it? Particularly for a culture like ours, that's really practical. Let me see if any of the men can relate to this. Whenever my wife's upset, my primary goal is find the problem, solve the problem. And often that gets her frustrated I don't want you to solve the problem. I'm like, well, what else could you possibly want? I want you to listen. Well, what use is that? (laughs) Just what's the problem. Let's fix the problem. Let's move on. It's so interesting in those dynamics, and this happens a lot when I'm working with couples that are having a challenge. And it's like a mirror often for me. I'm like, look, I am not good at this either. But actually what's required right now is for you to be with the person who's having a hard time, not just try to solve the problem. It's funny. It's not that loving. I mean, we feel like it's loving. I just want to fix your problem. It's like, actually, that's quite selfish because I don't want to sit in this. You need me to sit in this, and that feels costly. If we could just figure out what it is and fix the problem, then we could all move on and be happy. Love is the measure of maturity. And I think the church has got this wrong at times. We've made all kinds of other things the measure of maturity. We've made knowledge the measure of maturity. Like, if you know your Bible back to front if you can quote entire chapters of scripture then goodness me you've got something going on great in your life. It must be so mature. You know there are literally like academic professors of theology that would quite openly tell you they don't believe in God. I am for studying the scripture. I love it. I invest a lot of time in that. It is not a measure of maturity. Or in church streams like us and like ours, often we can think that demonstrations of power are a measure of maturity. That if somebody prays for somebody and stuff happens, well, they must have something great going on between them and God. Or if somebody can stand up and prophesy with an accuracy and a detail that blows your mind, they must be closer to Jesus than anyone else you have ever met. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. The reality is we do not believe this text. Because when we get around Bible teachers or prophets, are miracle workers. We are wowed by them, and we think they are the metric for maturity. And the Apostle Paul says, nonsense. Measure them by their love. It's the only metric for maturity. We are for the Scripture's We are four accurate prophetic words. We love it when God's kingdom breaks in in supernatural power and people get healed, but make no mistakes. Those things say nothing about our maturity and our wholeness and our ability in totality to reflect the goodness and the love of Jesus to the community around us who desperately need it. Love is the only measure of our maturity. And love is an emotional thing. How are you doing? When was the last time you honestly looked at what was going on in your life and brought it before Jesus and before some people around you? How many of us are carrying unresolved emotions of grief, loss, hurt? How many of you are angry with me for things that we've decided to do or not do over the last year? And if you are, I want you to know that's okay. I'd love to talk to you, to not be defensive, but just to get it out. How easily offended are we? How quickly do we forgive? How concerned are we with the way others perceive us? How easily do we ask for help? How able are we to rest? How much silence and solitude is in your life? The rebuild, it's not about buildings or services, it's about the inner world of our lives. At least that's where it starts. It's about us learning to love God and love people. How many times have you heard someone reflect on their life pre-COVID and how utterly unsustainable it was? And in the midst of all of the chaos and all of the pain, I've heard countless people talk about the gift that they have received over the last year of actually being able to step back from all of what their life was and go, did I really need all of that stuff? Why? Why are we so busy? Busy has become like, you know, synonymous with important, you kind of notice that? Like just do an experiment. Um, I'll give you permission to lie to people, right, if you are busy. Like, just start telling people you're not busy at all. And watch how that makes you feel. What's going on in your life? Not much. It's like something is wrong. Like, we even do it for people. How are you doing, busy? Here's the thing. Busy is a brilliant place to hide from your emotions. Busy is a brilliant place to hide from your emotions. Busyness is often the first sign that we are distracting ourselves from some stuff that's really going on. The rebuild for us this summer is about us intentionally moving towards Jesus and others by confronting what's really going on within us. Not for the purposes of navel gazing. This is really, really important. I am a practical person. It matters to me that the church's impact in the community is measurable, that we actually get out there and do stuff. So like the goal of this is not some 21st century Northern Irish kind of hippie movement where we all kind of come here and think, oh, we're so whole. That's not the goal. That's, That's not just so that we can do that. The reason why this really matters is because love really matters. Certainly to Jesus anyway. That we would love God and that we would love people. And that requires our emotions to be healthy. Extremes are easy, you see. The reality is it's easier to be a workaholic or a monk. Like it's, it's easier to just kind of throw yourself at all of the responsibilities of life and then be a monk when you're on holiday. And then come back and throw yourself at everything and then go on holiday. Jesus invites us to learn how to do something different, to live in a radical kind of middle where we take seriously our responsibility and our obligations, but we also take seriously our responsibility to rest and be whole. We were created to breathe in and breathe out. Just try breathing out all the time. (laughs) You will collapse. that's what we do, isn't it? We, and guys, listen, I am like as guilty Of this, of any of you. We breathe out, breathe out, breathe out, breathe out. We go on holiday and we collapse. The rebuild is about us learning to do something different. Learning how to breathe in and breathe out. We want to rebuild a community that has a radical minimum standard of reflection and adoration and mission. Here's the really uncomfortable thing, the really challenging thing for me as a church leader is that our lives, if we're following Jesus, actually following Jesus, should be getting more healthy. Like we should be more whole this year than we were last year. We should be more forgiving and more generous and more passionate and more loving But I don't know about you, but my life is a bit more like this. I feel like last month was great, this month's awful. (laughs) Learning to allow Jesus to work within us, to heal us. And to cause us to love him and love others. The rebuild is about us getting practical about our emotions. It's about us getting practical about what's what's really going on in our lives. And to walk deliberately and slowly towards Jesus and other people. This is the greatest commandment, that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're rebuilding. This is the church that's in our hearts. A people who are radically in love with God and who demonstrate that love to people like Pete Laverty every week. James, come on up. If you're able, will you stand? Pete's had a hard time, hasn't he? <laughs> He's now gonna be synonymous with the like person that's hard to love. It's unfortunate, because actually Pete Lattery's dead easy to love, but he does leave his bed out, so I'm told. Um, whenever um, I'm teaching my kids how to pray, and um, when we're praying for them, We do this thing all the time where we say, uh, just say with your body what you're saying with your heart. That's why we get them to put their hands out. There's nothing magical in it, it's literally just them saying with their body what's going on in their heart, that they are open, that they want to receive whatever it is that God wants to give them. So can I invite you to close your eyes? And if you want in this moment, in this afternoon, begin this journey of just opening the world of your emotions, your inner life to Jesus. Can I invite you to just open your hands in front of you? Father, would you see us right now? Here we are. We open our lives to you. Lord, you know You know what's going on. You know what's in there better than we know ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we need you. Father, I pray that you would give us courage. Courage to open our lives to you and the people around us.